Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Happy to see you. Gord's over in his easy chair. I'll tell you what. I appreciate you guys being willing to bob and weave with us. Uh, I just wanted to be able to check off on my bucket list open-air preacher this morning. <laughs> so we, uh, we orchestrated all of this. Thanks to, to Jason and Carla and Brittany and the rest of the team for doing that, for Barry for bobbing and weaving with some of the music and, and so on, and for all of you coming. And, and those of us uh, that are joining online this morning, welcome to you. And for those that are joining online and wondering what's going on, the power was out earlier. So we're here outside today, uh, working on our tans, worshiping the Lord, and uh, doing it a little bit different all on account of that. So um, for posterity, just to make sure that that's clear what we're up to here. We're in a, a series on the fruit of the Spirit, and um, the, we're looking at the different characteristics, sorry, the different characteristics that we find in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, that outline the different fruit of the Spirit that the fruit is working on to, to nurture and develop in each of us as we've committed our lives to Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to be looking at um, goodness uh, as the uh, this particular characteristic. The last two weeks have been really good, though. Excellent messages. If you didn't catch them, I would encourage you to go back and, and look at them. Two weeks ago, Bruce was t- talking about patience, and um, I, I really ap- appreciated that. I don't like patience. I struggle with patience. And um, uh, he looked at the life of David, used David as an example, and just what a great model he is for patience. And that was actually Bruce's dad's idea. So t- our hats off to, to Bruce's dad for coming up with that. And then last week, our camp speaker, Greg Denae, was uh, speaking on the whole area of kindness. And I was going to do a little bit of spoken word poetry this morning. Uh, Fran squared me up and said, there's neither hope nor reason, Doug. So I'll leave that to the professionals and, and spare you that today. And again, if you didn't catch those messages, I'd really encourage you to go back and check those out. They, they, were, they were excellent. Um, so before we dive in and take a look at goodness, uh, let's pray and ask God to come and, and speak to us as we go to him this morning. Father, today, uh, Lord, again, we just thank you for your goodness to us. And even in the midst of uh, some changes and some uh, adjustments, we just continue to recognize your goodness to us, even being able to be outside today in the sun and enjoying one another's company here and just the way that you have blessed us in so many different ways. And so as we go to you now and as we look at this area of goodness, God, I would just pray that you would come alongside each of us, that we would understand goodness a little bit better, uh, that we would understand how to engage in goodness with you, um, and that we would be uh, able to feel the, the Holy Spirit work in us to, to nurture that and to accomplish that in our lives so that we would be a better testimony to the world around us. So we, th- for all of these things and for this time, we just ask for your blessing upon it, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, 
So um, as we uh, start this morning, speaking about goodness, we want to take a look at the word goodness and make sure that we all understand that and that we're on the same page. Goodness, as it applies here, means moral uprightness or virtue or integrity. But goodness also speaks, in this sense, altruistically. It's an altruistic characteristic. It's there for the benefit of others around us. So it's not just for our own sake. It's not just in order that we would become more virtuous and more uh, integral in the way that we live, but that that would translate for those around us. It would spill out of our lives into those around us. And so it plays out on that level. Perhaps then we shouldn't be surprised that it also has definite overtures to generosity here. So as we're talking about goodness, there's a, a distinct and a very real parallel to the whole area of generosity. In fact, the word goodness is translated in Hebrews, uh, in, uh, sorry, in uh, Galatians, and in these, these verses, is the same word, it comes from the same word as, as is translated as generous in the parable of the workers, where Jesus was generous to the workers, and he paid the workers that came even later in the day, a full day's wages. And so from that we understand that Jesus was good, that he paid them not according to what was fair, but what was according to their need. These people needed a full day's wage in order to survive. And so even though they came later in the day, the, the owner paid them a full day's wage, and through that then we understand that God is good, that he is generous. The owner was a good owner. He cared about his people. He looked after his people. We understand that about God as well. So goodness is not just about ourselves and our own personal standing. It is to play out to the benefit of others around us. And oftentimes, our goodness is going to be demonstrated by our generosity. Or, in another way of looking at it, oftentimes, our goodness should precipitate our generosity. As we are succeeding in growing in goodness in our lives, that is going to make us more generous people. Now, this isn't just in financial terms, albeit it's very definitely including financial terms. Generosity also is to be understood in terms of our time, the way that we share our time with others. It's to be understood in terms of our attention, that we don't just have our attention spoken for on the things that we're interested in or the, the particular group that we're interested in, but that we would be attentive to others around us in their needs and in their circumstances. It's also very much involved in how we think so we're to think generously. We're to become generous in our thoughts, which will then hopefully inform our actions. And it's also to inform our, the way that we speak of others, that we're to be generous in the, we in the way that we speak to others around us. So this morning, we need to understand, as we come to this fruit and all the rest of them as well, that this isn't just merely behavioral. Paul isn't just speaking to us about somehow modifying our behavior to come in line with what God wants from us. 
But this is something that we see is the work of the Holy Spirit that is working from within us, that needs to be motivated out of his work in our lives, in our inner selves, not just our outward actions. And so in that, we recognize then we have to come to grips with the fact that this is to be motivated by God, that it isn't something that we try and go home and conjure up in and of ourselves. And we started off this series talking about the fact that this is going to be uh, an area that we need to wrestle with, that this is the work of the Holy Spirit, that we can't accomplish this on our own. And so I want to bang on that gong a little bit more again today because it seems to me that we really need to understand this. And unfortunately, it's apparent that maybe we aren't. Maybe we're not fully connecting these dots. In a recent study by the Arizona Christian University, 62% of self-identified born-again Christians believe that the Holy Spirit is merely a symbol of the presence of God rather than an actual living being. Okay, so let me just walk us through that just a little bit more. In this survey done by Arizona Christian University, out of the people that they they surveyed, a significant sample set, 62% of those that identified themselves as born-again believers, born-again Christians. All right, so this isn't just Joe Public. This isn't just people that identified as Christians, i.e. having grown up in a Christian country or something like that, but of of self-identified born-again Christians said that they understand that the Holy Spirit is uh, just simply a symbol of God's presence, not actually a real living being. Now, that's that's a scary thought to me today, that we've come to this point somehow in our teaching that our people out there that identify as followers of Jesus Christ, having been reborn into his family, believe that the Holy Spirit is merely an indication or a a symbol of God's presence. Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit is far more than just a symbol. Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. So, we believe that God exists in Trinitary form. God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a living being. And by the Holy Spirit, God comes to live with us and in us as we place our faith in Christ. So through the Spirit then, we have the ability to grow in these characteristics, that we have the ability to grow into the image of Jesus in our lives. So when Arizona Christian University calls you, who's the Holy Spirit? It's God living within us as we commit our lives to Jesus Christ. So again, we go back to this idea then that Christianity is not all about behavior modification. 
So many times I run into this. We think that we're called to live as Christians and to be Christians, which is to say to change the way that we live our lives, which is very true. But it is not so that we can be saved, so that we can be accepted by God, and it is not so that we can become a good Christian in the way that we live. We need to understand this. Christianity is first about trusting Jesus Christ to restore our relationship with God that has been broken by our sin. We're not good enough. There's nothing that we can do to be good enough to merit God's involvement and relationship with us on account of our sin. The only way that we become acceptable to God is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And from that point on then, we engage with the Holy Spirit in order to have God continue to repair us from sin. That it isn't just over and done once we commit our lives to him. That we've got our fire insurance, so to speak, and we're good to go. We need God's continued work and effort in our lives so that we can overcome the effects of sin in you and I as we continue to live out our lives for God. If we miss the existence and work of the Holy Spirit, then our theology is extremely messed up. If we think that we just need Jesus for our salvation, and then we're good to go, we have missed out on something significant in our faith, which is to say that we have made it again now at that point all about ourselves. I've got Jesus, I've been saved, now I am good to go. It's all about me. I can behavior modify my way along so that I can be a better Christian. And that's just wrong. It's not true. As soon as we have Jesus Christ, then we need the Holy Spirit working in us to do what we cannot do for ourselves, which is to say, change who we are. So God didn't just provide Christ for us for our salvation. Oh, he did that for sure. And that's where it has to begin. But at that point, then, we need to understand that he has also provided us with the Holy Spirit so that we can continue to grow in our relationship with him and so that he can then continue to use us to demonstrate his goodness to the world around us. And so the Holy Spirit is vital to us in this. And so as we come to this series and as we look at these characteristics, don't just go home today and try and accomplish these things on your own. Go to God. Go to his spirit. Talk to him and say, like I do, Lord, I need your help with patience. I hate praying that prayer because there's only one way that I know that God can give me more patience. And that just doesn't seem like a good plan to me. Ask him for a challenge so that I can become more patient. The only thing that maybe motivates me to do that is understanding the challenges that I create for myself through my impatience. Those are probably worse. But at that point now, I can go to God and I can go, okay, Lord, by your spirit, come and help me grow in patience. Come and help me grow in goodness. Come and help me grow in kindness. 
so that I will be different from the inside, so that it will be really me, not just a facade that I try and put on as necessary when I'm out there. Now, so far I've been talking, but let me try and back this up with some scripture then so that you can appreciate that I'm not just hopefully whistling Dixie today. In Mark 10, verse 18, Jesus says this, Why do you call me good? A man had come up to Christ and called him good, and he turns to this man and he says, Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. This morning we need to understand that. Scripture tells us that no one is good except for God alone. And then, in Jeremiah 17, 9, we read this. The heart is, deceitfully, is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You and I, I think, are probably the same in that we like to think that we're basically good people. We tell ourselves that we're, for the most part, decent. That we have virtue, that we have integrity, that we live our lives ethically that we're morally upright. And for the most part, we think that we can handle things on our own. We think that we can get by somehow. But even though that we can oftentimes pull off a semblance of being good for a while, we need to understand that even at our very best, we fall immeasurably short of what God desires and what his standards are. That we are not good. And that Scripture isn't trying to be ignorant or mean as it tells us that. It's just laying out a fact that that's who we are. We're not good. And at that point, we need to recognize that we need help. That because we fall short of that, then we need help because we can't even keep up our facade for very long. So we need to keep that in mind. And that being the case, then we need to recognize that we get our help through God. That he didn't just save us, but that he comes along now and says, now I will provide you this help as well. I can help you change. I can help you overcome the sin that has stained you, that has marred the way that we live our lives, the way that it has distorted us from the image of Christ. And so he provides that to us through the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to engage with him so that we can actually change, not just put on a show. Continuing on, James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. The gift of the Holy Spirit definitely qualifies as one of God's good gifts. And Philippians 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and act and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. So again, as we try and delude ourselves from time to time by thinking that we're pulling this off on our own, we have to go back to Scripture and recognize that anything that we do that is truly good, anything that we do that is along the lines of the image of Christ is because God is working in you and I today in order to accomplish that according to his purposes. So we can't take credit for that. And we definitely can't believe that we can pull it off on our own. 
it is only through God working in us that we can begin to see that happen. Here then we see God's response, his good response to our inability to accomplish goodness in and of ourselves. In the ensuing verses of James, just after James 1.17, we see that God sent the good and perfect gift of the gospel, which James refers to there as the word of truth. He sent Jesus Christ in order to accomplish our salvation so that we could find rebirth into relationship with God through him and that our lives instead of death would be moved to life. And from Philippians, then we understand that after our rebirth, God himself by his spirit comes to work in us to accomplish his good gifts and good purposes. Now, how amazing is that today? That we don't have to go home and try and conjure this up on our own. That God, in his goodness, made a way for us to become good through the work of his spirit in our lives. So for you and I today, all that's required, not to say that it's easy, and I'll get there in a moment. But what's required is that we lean into God today and ask him to come alongside of us to accomplish this. And that we would engage with him in such a way as to try and work with him to see that happen. As my grandfather would say, that's stupendous that God cares that much, that his goodness extends that far, that he would do for us what we can't do for ourselves, even after having gone so far as to save us from our sin, which again, we couldn't accomplish on our own. Now, another thing here quickly. While I am the first to admit that it is work to participate with the Holy Spirit in a way that would lead us to change, that would lead us to grow into these characteristics that God is trying to develop in us. We also need to understand that there are inherent benefits today to becoming the one that God intends for us to be. So oftentimes we look at these characteristics and we see Bob Squarepants and, and think, wow, just not interested. That, that dude whoever that guy is that's living life like this is B with a cap, uh, boring with a capital B. And I don't, I don't want that. I want to I be excited in my life. I want to be living on the edge. I want to be doing my thing. And so sometimes we come to these things and we look at them and we think, oh, I'll just give that a pass, thanks. I need to be able to go out there and shoot from the hip, live life the way I see it. But today, again, can I encourage you? This life that God's calling us to, these characteristics that he's trying to build and develop in our lives, that doesn't lead us to drudgery and tedium. It doesn't lead us to boredom and monotony. That leads us to fulfillment, leads us to purpose. It leads us to identity, all of these things that he's promised for us as we go to him. 
And those things all add up to life that's of value. So don't, don't dismiss it before we get going on it. Dive in and see that it doesn't produce real benefits and dividends for you in your life. This morning, though, quickly, let's take a look at maybe at what goodness looks like a little bit so that we can see it in action somewhat. And so we'll quickly look to Psalm 15, where David gives us a glimpse of that. Psalm 15 says this, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their hearts, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. David comes along and he gives us a picture of what goodness is, what goodness looks like, goodness that would allow someone to dwell with God. So who can dwell with God? Well, we see that in the first couple lines. David says it's the blameless and the righteous. Now here we also have to see, we have to see is we also see with Job that blameless and righteous do not mean perfect. All right, so we can't look at that and, and be just completely defeated before we get going. Here, as David talks about blameless and righteous, he's talking about one who is morally upright, as, as we go back again to the original language. One that's morally upright, that walks with morals, acts eth ethically, demonstrates virtue and integrity. And what's more, though, recognizes and repents when they fail to accomplish that. Job is a great example. Job wasn't perfect, but Job recognized that he didn't meet the standard. And so as that happened, as he fell short, then he would go to God and seek repentance, forgiveness from God. And so that's what's required here, is that we try to live morally upright lives, virtuous lives with integrity going forward. And as we fail, that we would then participate with God in having him forgive us, restore us, and move us on towards that again. The rest of the psalm breaks this down a little bit more specifically. What does it mean to be morally upright, virtuous, blameless? David says, well, first of all, their words are good. What they say is honest according to what they truly believe. So we don't play games. We don't mislead people. We are honest with them. We share with them where we're at. We speak truly from our hearts. What's more, we don't gossip. We don't slander. We don't harm others. We care about them. We live altruistically, generously in their regard. David continues, they're not wicked. They don't support those that are wicked. And at no point do they sell out in order to benefit 
from those that are vile, those that are less than blameless and virtuous. But they do support those that are moral and live with integrity. So oftentimes, there will be a point where we see the opportunity to benefit from someone that maybe isn't so straight, playing straight, plays fast and loose with the rules. We might be able to ride on their coattails a little bit, see some personal retain, uh, gain out of that whole scenario. But as good people, we have to say no to that. And what's more, we have to look out for the innocent, care for them, make sure that they aren't being taken advantage of either. David continues, they keep their word and live by their commitments, even to their own detriment. This is, I think, something that's becoming a bit of a lost art in our world today, even amongst the church. So oftentimes we'll give our word and then something comes up that somehow we think negates what we've just committed ourselves to. Get a job offer. Yes, I'll take that job offer. Well, now I've got a better job offer. Well, I'm going to turn that one down after I've accepted it. I commit to take part in something. Oh, but then the opportunity comes up for me to go to the city or to take in something or whatever. Well, they'll understand. They'll understand. I can bow out even at the last minute, I can walk away. And that's not goodness, according to David. That's not the altruistic good that is supposed to pour out of us, where we will lend ourselves to those around us and their needs before our own. They're generous, David says. Funny that that comes up specifically here. First of all, they lend to the poor. Now, do we do that? Or do we lend to those that we think we have a pretty good shot at seeing our money back? Shakespeare spoke to this. Neither a, a borrower nor a lender be, but Shakespeare apparently didn't read Psalm 15. And I get it. There's some rationale to what Shakespeare's saying, so I'm not dismissing him. I'm not saying that there isn't some point to what he has to say. but. When we read Psalm, Psalm 15, we need to recognize that we need to lend to those that are in need. And what's more, then we're good in that we also don't charge them interest. Some of us will be talked into it. Okay, fine. Scripture says I've got to lend, so I'll do it. We do it begrudgingly. And then what's more, we charge interest. If I'm going to lend, I'm going to make sure I get something back out of it. And David says, no, we don't do that. That was something that was really very, very strictly enforced in Jewish culture, that you did not take advantage of those that were poor, those that were without. I think we could learn from that today. David continues, they also don't participate in anything illicit that would be taking advantage of others. That they stay on the straight and narrow. David gives us some great insight in Psalm 15 as to what goodness looks like. And I'd encourage you to go back and read that again over the course of this week a few times. Just see how you're doing. Ask God, ask the Holy Spirit where you can improve in your life towards goodness. But of course, at the very best, this is a second best example of goodness. 
the good person that David outlines here is only second as far as a model for us to follow. Because Jesus remains our number one example, our number one model of goodness. Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. If you want to know what goodness looks like, we have to study what Jesus looks like. We have to know how he lived, the way he thought, the way he, that he prioritized things in his world, the way he prioritized people in his world, so that we can model ourselves after that. And as we do, we can be assured that we will be becoming good people. Communion reminds us, again, of Christ's supreme act of goodness as he laid down his perfect life for us in our place, his perfect life for our sin, his goodness for our mess and our badness, our evil. How amazing is that? I'm going to ask the servers if they would pick up the trays from the cart just inside the door. And we're going to participate in communion together. If you're here visiting with us today, you don't have to be a part of First Baptist Church. Man, I forgot my Kleenex. I thought that the sun would be able to dry everything up fast enough. Um, you don't, have to, you don't have to be a part of First Baptist Church to, to take part in this. This is something that is open to everyone that has, first of all, claimed Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and who is, to the best of their ability, in good standing with their fellow believers. And so feel free to participate with us. Uh, parents, today, given that we've got so many kids here, just a reminder as well that your kids are free to participate under your direction if they have accomplish those things and are in that same standing, then they're welcome to participate as you provide and allow for them. Servers are going to pass out the trays just before they do. If you would just take your uh, cup and wafer, it's a little bit of a trick to get into, so you can start and open that. But if you'd wait until everyone has uh, been served, then we'll all participate together. Would you pray with me? Father, again today, Lord, as we come to communion and as we think about your goodness to us, nothing could demonstrate that more than the giving of your life in our place to pay the penalty of our sin. And Lord, as we look back at that, we just say thank you. Thank you so much that you would give your son to us in order to accomplish that. And Father, beyond that, we also would now ask that by your Spirit that you would come and that you would work in each of us to build us in our goodness, goodness, that you would help us to become more like him. And so today, as we participate in this service, communion service, we just ask that we would remember him, that that would be a motivation for us, that we would remember his body broken for us, that we would remember his blood shed for us, and that that would move us day by day 
to be more like him and, and better, a better example of him to the world around us. And we ask these things all now in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. The little wafer represents his body broken for us. The juice represents his blood shed for us. This, he says, do in remembrance of him. Well, you guys, this has been good. Thank you so much for being out, being willing to hang with us in this capacity, do the church this way with us today. Uh, thank you, especially that I didn't have to try and record a message online somehow. That is just brutal. It's so much better to do this when you guys are here. I have you to look at. Uh, have a really good week. Hopefully we'll see you out at camp sometime. Don't hesitate to, to visit out there for a chapel in the evening or something or other like that. Continue to pray for camp. Continue to pray for us as we look for a replacement for Kelsey. And we'll see you next week um, for church, hopefully, inside.